wanted to write from like the moment I couldn't even spell well, like, I, I and I do agree I got a lot to learn when it comes to acting yeah, yeah. I still we're on the radio promoting the show and had it trying to bigger better better than the first the Adam Talks Podcast Season 2 Welcome back to another great episode of the Adam Talks Podcast right here on whatever platform it is you're watching or listening to it on. That's right, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Go and check us out on all those platforms. Today, we have an amazing episode. Uh, We have an episode with a guy that I didn't know if I was actually going to get to talk to, but thankfully I did get to talk to him, and we had such an awesome episode. We are talking today to a former Mr. Money in the Bank winner from WrestleMania 23, a former WWE United States champion and a two-time TNA heavyweight champion. A guy who's really an awesome dude, a dude that's really laid back, a guy that's easy to talk to, and very thankful for that. We're talking to the one, the only, Mr. Anderson, formerly known as Mr. Kennedy. Guys, before we get into this episode, if I can ask you to do one thing, if you just do one thing for me, it would help out so much. If you're on YouTube, go ahead and hit that subscribe button, and if you're on any of the other streaming platforms, hit that follow button, drop a comment. And guys, you have no idea how much that actually helps. It means the world to me whenever you're able to do that for me. It takes two seconds out of your day. So if you can do that for me, I would be so very grateful for that. But guys, I'm not going to keep you any longer. This is my conversation with Mr. Anderson. So we have an awesome guest on today. It is it is awesome to have this guy on. We have a former Mr. Money in the Bank from WrestleMania 23, former WWE United States champion, a former two-time TNA heavyweight champion, Mr. Anderson, formerly known as Mr. Kennedy. How's it going, man? Fantastic, man. Thank you. It was a, it was a pretty solid, uh, pretty solid rendition there. I've heard that you have to to really put your gut in it whenever you're doing it. Got to use your so, diaphragm. Got to use your diaphragm. Diaphragm. Yep. Do it all you know, from the chest. I, Let it all I, out. Um, we have at at the academy at my wrestling school. We do matches on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and we we sometimes we go live on TikTok for those. And our my students will like they'll have something really good to say to the other person they're working. But they'll only say it to them. And I'm like, the people in the back row got it. Like, if the person that's sitting in the front row can't hear that, like, you're throwing that away. So you got to, you know, people got to hear you. Yeah. So you just, have you always been a loud character as far as the Anderson Kennedy character? Has it always been a loud character? Did you start as something different? Um, You know, I, I honestly can't remember. I think so. I think the the first somebody yes. sent me one of my very first interviews and I was over the top. You know, like The Rock was always one of my favorite promos in the business. Um, yeah, and I, you know, I, I didn't try to be like him. I wanted to be my my own variation of that. But like that was what I was drawn to. When I was in high school, I would do impersonations of teachers and stuff like that, and I, I would do them in public places like pep rallies and and basketball games. I I announced basketball games. I was always kind of like a class clown. And oh, wow. it was just kind of a natural progression to get into in the, in the wrestling business. 
Wow. Okay. You, you know, thinking back, that's 17 years ago, WrestleMania 23, man. That's that's a distance back. I didn't even think about that until just now. I mean, yeah. that was a while back. We're at 40 now. I, I, I mean. Yeah, it's crazy to me that, to, to even think that in some respects, it seems like a lifetime ago. And in other ways, it's like, it just, I feel like I blinked and. I can I can I still remember that. I can still remember putting that match together and talking it over and I can remember the way that I felt before I walked out and um yeah it's just it's crazy I couldn't imagine I couldn't imagine the rumble from the crowd you could feel it in your feet I imagine you know I I, I couldn't imagine just being in front of that many people doing what you did man that That's was nuts a, that was a strange one because. When I, I expected, well, during the day when we walked out, and you look around, Ford Field, it was like 83. It ended up being like 83,000 people in attendance, right? And I remember yeah. looking out in the ring. I was standing in the ring during the day, and it, I was like, this is cr- this is going to be crazy. And then when I walked yeah. out, when they hit my music and I walked out on stage, it just looked like a very full 20,000-seat arena. It didn't look like... So it was just kind of a wow. weird feeling. And then I did it and I went up, I, I went to the back, took a shower. And then I went up to the luxury boxes where they had a, they had a box for family and friends. And that, excuse me, that's when I looked out and I saw like this little tiny ring in this giant sea of people. And I was like, holy fuck. I just wow. did that. That's crazy. <laughs> that's what it is. That's crazy. It, is it difficult putting a match like that together? Not really. Um, well, yes. So, so here's the, here's the thing about that. It's like, normally we do it on the day. Almost every match you see raw SmackDown has been put together. Sometimes last minute, sometimes, sometimes they change it right before you walk through the curtain. So, So normally, normally the thing happens like the matches, putting the match together happens on that day. You get to the building at noon, Maybe creative comes out and tells you exactly what's going on at three o'clock. So you have from three till seven or three until whenever your match is on the show to kind of put it together. It's not a whole lot of time. Um, WrestleMania is different in, in that you've got like four days where you meet every single day with all those people. So all the people that were in that ladder match met in a room we had a ring there, a practice ring, so we could go over stuff. We had a bunch of crash pads, a bunch of ladders of all different shapes and sizes. So, and it was just like, yeah. you know, creative. Uh, Michael Hayes was the lead producer on that. And I believe Finley was the other one, which Finley was actually in the match. So, and then you just kind of, yeah. here's what we want to happen. How, how do you guys, you know, and, they, and I, I believe Michael had pretty much laid out the, the format and then it was just up to us to kind of plug in different things and you know it was hornswoggle they they wanted me to do something to hornswoggle at some point and so it was him that actually came up with the idea of me hitting him with uh the finley roll off the ladder um so and then it was just a matter of like well how do we do this safely how do we how do i make sure that i don't i don't drop you from all the way up. Yeah. There, you know? So, but yeah. yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's hard in the, 
So it's it's not hard in that sense because you have so much extra time to put it together and to think about it and sort of remember. Um, but it's hard to make stuff like that make sense, you know. Uh, and psychology's psychology is huge to me. Not what are you doing, but why are you doing it? And I I watched that match about a year ago, I want to say, and I was like, mm-hmm. I, I can't watch it. I'm like so. I hate it um, just because there's so many things that just don't make sense. There's that one point like, you know, Edge and I are on the floor and I, I let him just walk by me because that wasn't our spot at the time, you know, like stuff like that. Okay, man. Uh, when did you know you were getting the win for the briefcase? How long ago before the, the event do you know this stuff? So, Initially, they had Adam going over in that match. They they had for the first three days that we put that together. Two or for two or three days, it was Adam, and then the second to last day, they changed it to me. And uh, you know, in inside, I'm fireworks are going off. I'm kind of excited, but I kept that to myself. And I've always tried not to get excited, like super excited about something because it's wrestling and things change all the time. And if you know my career at all, like things did change in the blink of an eye. So I've always just tried to like just roll with punches. That's just the way it goes. And and I think that's a good attitude to have because if you go out and you have everything mapped out in your match and the crowd shits on it or the top rope breaks or something like that. Like you, you gotta, there, there isn't a cut. We can't cut. We have to keep going. So you just got to kind of roll with it. Yeah. Okay. You've, you've wrestled some of the biggest names in professional wrestling. Have you learned a lot from different wrestlers? I mean, who were some of them and what are some of the things that you've learned from them? Man, uh, this is so much just from work. My first time working with Taker, he just wanted to feel me out. He just like, you know, I, I know you, but I've never worked with you. I want to, and I remember he, he told me, we're not going to talk about anything in the, in the locker room. Just listen to me. Honestly, we didn't talk about a thing. He, uh, I don't even think he told me what he was going to hit, you know, whether it was a choke slam or a tombstone or he just, uh, he, he literally said, listen to me. I will tell you, kick me, kick me, you know? So that's all I had to go out there and just, and just listen to what he said. Um, so that was one of the things that I, and I can't really describe it. It's something you just have to do for a while going out and listening to the people and understanding that like sometimes they're going to react to things and sometimes not. And okay, let's try this other thing. Um, hang on. Um, Matt Hardy. I remember one thing specifically, Matt, Matt and I did a double down, double clothesline and it was on a house show. And I remember I, I'm kind of moving around and the people just never really, you know, generally when there's a double down, there's a, some silence for a little bit. And then the people start to, you know, start coming for you. Mm-hmm. And they just weren't yeah. doing, they weren't doing that. And, uh, I, I went to the back and I was like, why, what, what happened there? Like, why weren't they coming? He was like, you just sit still. Don't move. Literally don't move. When you do a double down like that, 
don't move until seven. He he, he was like oh, wow. it's very specific. So that was one thing that now if they're coming right away, you got to come up because otherwise you'll lose them, right? Like if they come up, yeah, and you're not moving, and they'll dip down, and then it's yeah. really hard to get them back. But if they're not making any noise, just lay there, and it it works Man. almost every time. For for some reason, at seven they'll just start. They'll start coming. Yeah, just little things like that, I guess you know. Yeah, you've had you've had matches against several good people, and if you look back over your career, I guess you you've had wins over like some of the biggest names in the world. I mean, how is it getting that nod? Does it feel like you said you don't really get excited? You're trying not to get excited. How does it feel knowing that you're going and going in there and winning? I know you said before that it doesn't really matter about the wins or anything, but knowing that you're working with all of these big name people and making these different stories out in the ring, how does that, how does that affect you, I guess, or does it? There, there wasn't, uh, the the entire time that I was working with Taker, I was, Mm -hmm. you know, every night I had to sit and sit and I was forced to sit in the ring and, uh, endure that five minute intro that he has. And at no point, at no point was I ever like, come on, fucking speed this thing up, man. Like, (laughs) I sat there as a fan every night and just, I can't, I can't believe that I'm here. I can't believe I'm doing this. Um, So, like, externally, I've got to keep my professional face. This is normal. This is my job. But inside, I'm I'm a little kid, you know. I'm I'm a fan. They're like one of my okay. one of my greatest experiences in the business was working with Sting, and uh, I did a mm-hmm. little angle with him and TNA where I dressed up like old Surfer Sting when he had the blonde hair. Oh, and, I remember seeing that. Yeah, and uh, that was an idea when I when I first sat down with him. He said, "Hey, th- they paired us up." I said, "All right, you guys going to do a little program together?" And Sting said, "Hey, man, I know we've never worked together before." But I just want to let you know that I'm open to doing whatever you want. Like, if you have some ideas, as crazy as they are, fucking shoot them at me. And uh, so I said, well, hey, when I first started out in the business, a lot of people used to compare me to you because I had the bleach blonde hair. So I I would hear that from people. Like, you kind of remind me of a young sting. So I said, what if I I did did that and dressed up like you? And he was like... (laughs) I love it. Yes. And then he goes, I have all that old gear. I'll bring it and you can wear it. So like all the gear that I was oh, wearing wow. was all Sting's actual old gear from, from the, you know, early, like yeah. late eighties, early nineties or whatever. And, wow. and, and then the, you know, the, the top it all off the cherry on top was Sting actually painted my face. Like who knows how oh, wow. to do that paint better than Sting himself. So I would be sitting in the in the dressing room, Sting just talking to me, bullshit with me, and like I can't believe that I'm fucking I can't believe I'm doing this. Wow, man. Some cool experiences. Some really cool experiences. I know for me, my love for wrestling started in ninety seven when I was seven years old watching WCW with you know, Sting versus the NWO was one big story. Uh the other one was Macho Man and DDP. Just seeing these these stories and stuff really tied me in and made me want to be a wrestler. Was that any kind of, was there anything kind of like that for you or were you ever really into wrestling when you were younger? I wasn't into wrestling when I was young. I, I hated it. I thought it was stupid. 
Um, I fell into the it's fake camp. Um, mm -hmm. But one night I happened to be watching and I saw this guy who had shaved his head and he drove a pickup truck to the ring and, you know, middle fingers and beer. And uh, yeah. I was like, uh, all right, he's kind of cool. I'll watch. And then I, I had some roommates who watched every week and I was like, I'll watch with you guys just to see what he'd do. And then I slowly but surely got roped into everything else. Like, well, Undertaker's pretty cool too. And Kane and DX is pretty cool. And, uh, you know, Nation of Domination at the time and stuff like that. Um, but it, Austin was it. Austin was always like my, man, I, I became a fan within like two weeks. Like I, I was, I went from hating the business, thinking it was stupid to being like, that's all I thought about. That's all I would talk about with my friends at work. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Did you, uh, did that lead you into trying to pursue this as a career? You know, I, I never even, it never dawned on me. Like I, I, at no point do I remember thinking, how did they, how do you do this? I just, it was such a weird thing. Uh, I figured it was kind of like the carny where you just had to be born into it kind of thing. And, um, I was at a party one night and somebody said, Hey, my friend, uh, that I work with has a kid that's going to wrestling school. And I was like, what wrestling school? Yeah. You can go like learn how to do this stuff. So I, fuck, I left the party early that night, which was unheard of at that time. And I went home and I looked, it wasn't even Google at the time. It was like ask Jeeves or something like that. <laughs> old, the old school dial-up internet and i looked yeah up, i looked up wrestling schools and i found one and i remember thinking i probably won't find anything close to me um so i looked in i, I figured i'm gonna have to go to like one of the big big cities so either la chicago or new york and so the closest one to me was chicago which is about three hours away so i started looking there and i thought if I can, you know, if I, if I get into this, I can drive down every other weekend. Cause I worked every other weekend. So I was like, I can drive down and I'll sleep in my car and go to wrestling school. I just happened to find, found this. I just happened to find this one wrestling school that was in the Chicagoland area. And I reached out to them and he never called me back, but he passed my number on to a guy in green Bay who was just starting up a wrestling school. And that guy called me and in our first conversation, he said something to the effect of like, what do you think about who, who are your favorite wrestlers? Of course I told him Steve Austin. And then he's like, what do you think about like Ric Flair and Bret Hart and stuff like that? And I, I said, honestly, those names sound familiar, but I, I don't really know. So it's just, wow. you know, he initially thought this guy's never going to make it, but here we are. Here we are. And I think he might've made it. Maybe <laughs> he might've made it done a thing or two right Couple things. so from there did you just few. uh so from there do you uh did you go into the indies or did you uh how how does it work getting into developmental because I've, I've heard that you went to ovw correct i did eventually but i okay. was in how the... did how does it work i worked from i started in 99 so i think january of 99 i started training and sometime in 2005, I got signed and I went to OVW. So it was like six years, five or six years of humping it on the indies and trying to 
you know, make connections and, and learn as much as I could. And, you know, I, I had some good trainers who, who were able to teach me a lot of the basics. Like th these are guys that I'm still friends with today. And they're some of the most brilliant, like they, they actually know the business They guys that never necessarily made it themselves, but I was fortunate that they were, they knew what they were talking about, you know, but they only knew so much, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And so they only knew so yeah. much. And then, so they taught me, they were able to teach me those basics. And then I kind of had to go out and hump it and make mistakes. And I'd pick a little tidbit of information up from this person and one from this person. And uh, so, like I said, six years and I kept sending tapes and I kept, I remember at first it was Kevin Kelly that was in the, in the office at, WWE, then it was Dr. Tom, and then it ended up being Tommy Dreamer, and I dealt with all of those people, and each time, like, it was like starting over from square one, you know, Kevin Kelly and I developed a wow. rapport, and, and then when Dr. Tom came in, he didn't know me, so I had to kind of, like, sort of start over from square one, um, and I just kept humping it, and finally, after five, six years, all of those connections and that information just converged. You know, they say like the harder yeah. you work, the luckier you get. And I truly believe that because it, it was a bunch of different, it's like, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like making soup, right? If you make yeah. uh, chili, yeah. if you make chili, you're missing a couple ingredients. It's something else. It's not chili. Um, yeah. So it's like you need all these different ingredients. And fortunately, I was, I happened to work really hard and I happened to be in the right place at the right time yeah. as well. Right on. Right on, man. Um, so was it difficult to get, uh, you said it was difficult to get from OVW into WWE, correct? Um, it was kind of, when I was there, there was there was still no. I remember at one point before I got hired, I would ask I asked Doctor Tom one day. I was like, "What do, what do we need to do? What do we need to do differently?" And he said, "Ken, I don't know." He's like, "We don't know what we're looking for, but we know when we see it." So he goes, "If we could bottle it and sell it, we would, but we can't. So just keep hustling, keep working, keep trying different things." Um, so it was hard to get into OVW, but then, like I said, you know, you're, once I got to OVW, it's all of these, like the best of the best on the Indies. Yeah. All under one roof. And they're all trying to make it to the active roster. So it's just like, you're competing with them. Um, it was a friendly competition. So yeah, then it was like, okay, well, what I got hired here now, what do I need to do to, to move on to the next level? And so it's just, you just got to keep hustling, keep working. Sometimes the door closes for a little while for people, you know, you hear about people all the time. Ryback was one who I believe he was there when I first started and then he got fired and then they opened up deep South and he got hired at deep South and he was down in deep South the entire time that I was on the active roster. They kept trying to bring him up and then it just didn't work out. And, you know, finally, finally it happened for him and he had a solid run. Um, just, you just never know. 
Okay. Um, what was your first experience in WWE like? Like your first matches or, or uh, were you on uh, SmackDown was the first time that I saw you. Were you on uh, WWE TV before then? Well, I, I did. If you go back and look, I mean, there are probably at least 10 matches that I had where I was just enhancement talent. Where I was Ken Henderson, the local guy that didn't get any entrance music, who would just get squashed by whomever. You know, I, I worked Rodney Mack twice. I worked uh, Billy and Chuck, uh, Ginger and O'Hare, um, La Resistance, Regal. I mean, it was like all these. Wow. Uh, Sean O'Hare and S.A. Rios was my first one. And then I had a couple dark matches in there. So it was like several, several years. Um, what was the question again? What I forget why. Uh, that that was basically. What, what, were you on TV or were oh. you were you on WWE programming before getting onto the main roster, as it were? I was, and then so five weeks after Paul Heyman got the pencil at OVW, Tommy called me up and he said, "Hey, they want to see your because I had just started doing the the microphone thing, the the introduction." Mm-hmm. He's like, "They want to see you at at SmackDown this week." in Columbus, Ohio, and they want you to do your whole gimmick. They want to see it. So I went there and put together, Finley was our producer, and it was uh, me versus, it was going to be me versus Funaki in a dark match. Funaki going over with the super kick at the end. And But they wanted to still see my whole intro and everything. Um, and right before, I remember being in gorilla position doing push-ups, and just kind of thinking about my what what I was going to do. And Vince walked up. And Vince never, never sits down to watch the preliminary matches. He's, he just, he always sits down like right before SmackDown. As the pyro is going off usually. Um, so he walked up. And then I remember Dave Lagana walked around the corner. And he said, hey, there's been a change. And I immediately thought, uh, they cut it. They cut my match. It's all right. It's all good. Next time, excuse me. And he said, uh, he said, we need to come up with a finisher for you because you're going over. Um, this is now going to be a televised match. It's going to be on velocity and uh, welcome aboard. And he like stuck out his hand and oh, wow, it was just, and just like that. And I remember, you know, I remember for that six years building up to that point, it's like, I just want to work here. I just want to be here. I just want to be here right now. Why can't I get a break? Why can't I, why can't the fucking roads all converge? And at that moment, I was like, I'm glad that it took me this long because I was so confident in my ability. I, I was nervous, but not in a bad way at all. It was just like this positive stress and I was able to go out there and I knew that as long as I did me, that, yeah. It would be uh, it would be different and noticed, and it was. And I came back through the curtain. And I got a big thumbs up from the boss, and then Johnny Ace came walking up to me like, "You just got yourself a job, kid." And <laughs> and then it was like a solid. Literally, everybody knows Johnny Ace. You can't, you can't tell a Johnny Ace story without doing his voice. I think. Um, yeah, but that was power to the people. Uh, yeah, <laughs> solid. But it was just, it was, we're off to the races. And then it was, you know, it's funny. Every, everybody that, 
that makes it uh, and some you know people that make it big they people will say that person's an overnight success and it's crazy how quickly I went from you know being at the grocery store with the bag of potatoes and the dish soap and going I got to put one back to yeah. traveling the world and not having to worry about that so much you know it's just that it just happens in a blink of an eye and and honestly that four years that i was with wwe was a blur to me i i still like i remember some things but there's so much that i forget and every once in a while somebody will send me a link to a match and i'm like i don't even remember wrestling that person i don't remember that happening so wow yeah that's not what is there different crowds like all over the world like are you going to get a different reaction from different places and stuff you know like yeah if you go overseas to to like for for like tribute to the troops or if you go to to london or if you go to canada or even if you're here is there a different reaction wherever you go there there really is there is i was just uh, saying how do you keep them um i would say like throughout my entire career the most rabid fans in the world are in in europe like all over and, and especially like England, Scotland, Ireland. But when I first started in WWE, my very first tour, we went to Italy. We did like, um, I think three or four dates in Italy. And it was the first time that WWE had ever been there. So wow. there, there were fans like rocking the bus as we were pulling into the, it was you know, and Holy then like cow. when I when we went to the Philippines, I I feel like that was the first time we had been in the Philippines, and um, there was this mall that we were staying, the, the hotel that we were staying at connected to a mall, and there was three levels, and we walked through the, we it wasn't even like an appearance, it was just like if we went if we walked over to just go to the mall to hang out, three levels of people just screaming going crazy you know like beatles shit wow yeah that would have that probably would have, must have been overwhelming like just not even knowing what the hell to do at that point just seeing all these people like swarming for you man you yeah. know I, I wouldn't know what to do i mean do it and then i remember being in portugal working taker i think it was portugal anyways working taker and uh, Doing stuff that we had done every night because I was I was practically married to him for several months, like probably six months to a year, and you know when whenever he would grab my hand and back up to the to go to the corner, people would start to come up like oh he's gonna go for old school and like they just weren't reacting to anything that we were doing and I remember at some point we're like five six minutes into the match and Taker was like fuck these guys suck man like. Let's just take he goes, you know what? Sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose. Let's take it home. And we just finished. And that was an that was an experience where instead of us just going through the motions and doing this stuff, like they're not into this right now. So let's let's still give them a solid match, but let's cut it early. Give somebody else that time. Yeah. <laughs> I've I've seen I've seen a lot of interviews where people say that wrestling and acting are completely separate things or nothing alike and one doesn't help influence the other. You were in Behind Enemy Lines Columbia. What was that experience like for you? We're sorry for the interruption. 
Your show will return after these ads. Are you looking to better yourself? Are you tired of the way you look and feel and want to do something about it? Try more hot fitness and nutrition. Three products that are offered are your workouts in the form of a fitness plan, your diet in the form of a nutrition plan, and a combo plan featuring both. Everything is one-on-one, -on -one. online coaching from the Warhawk himself, Kirk Cassis. He makes a workout nutrition plan for you, and then he checks in throughout the week to monitor your progress. All plans are priced by the individual. So if you're interested in getting in the best shape of your life, contact Kirk Cassis. Go on Facebook to Warhawk Fitness and Nutrition to get started today. Use the promo code ATPC2 to get a discount. That's ATPC2 for a discount. Warhawk Fitness and Nutrition. Get in the best shape of your life with the Warhawk. What's up, everybody? This is Lil Hoggy. Uh. Go check out my new single, Get Right. It's on YouTube, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Music, iTunes, Amazon Music. I'm about to get right. I'm high as a satellite. Don't fuck up my vibe tonight. Smoke another one, I might. I'm about to get right. I'm high as a satellite. Don't fuck up my vibe. Chevy, you can see the pain dripping, trunk pop swinging, and I'm hitting switches. Fishbowl, you can say that. Go follow my snap at Lil Hoggy502. Go follow my Instagram at DLilHoggy502. Follow my YouTube channel, Lil Hoggy502. Follow me on Facebook at Lil Hoggy. The following is an excerpt from the book, Tell It to the Stars, by April May, available on Amazon March 21st. Most thoughtlessly traveling to and from, how I envy their freedom, free from the semblance and screeching sounds that are timelessly calling my eyes to settle in that place. I know each part in the trees, how the landscape sits behind them painting a beautiful portrait for the sun to rest behind each evening and so to rise from again in that place where we are forced to see the wreckage. Oh, Antioch Road, it is still crashing against us daily. Flags fly and twist in the wind, flowers trampled by the seasons, the soil whispers of that Tuesday morning if you stop by to listen, there you will find an elder pine standing tall, a marker in time, his branches extending like rough fingertips reaching out for justice. Debris rests at the feet of the elder tree, same as pebbles decorate the grave. His scar is all but healed, much like letters mark the gravestone. 
Listen to the secrets in the winds over that Antioch soil, a whispering song humming under feathered headdress bore of giants, truth's only witness. Get your copy of Tell It to the Stars by April May on March 21st, available on Amazon. I hate that. I hate that mentality. It is the same. It is the fucking same. Like, yeah, it's different. It's like, it's like the difference between play acting, stage acting and film acting. Yes, they're different, but they're related. And, um, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, that's what we're doing. Like somebody hands us a script and says, say these words. I want you to emote in this way. I want you to be mad here. I want you to be sad or whatever. Like, and that's, that's what it is. It's acting. So I wish more people would actually take pride in that, in that, um, and you know, take acting classes and things like that. Cause like wrestlers generally throughout history were kind of corny, you know, like, yeah, yeah. like, and, and that's kind of, it's a lure at, to, at, to some degree. It's like, yeah, yeah, we get it. It's just, that's the way it is. It's kind of cheesy. It's like, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to say it's bad acting, but like you know, you watch bad movies sometimes. I don't. It's not that B movies. Is it like B movie acting? I would say it, it tends to be like sometimes if you really watch, <laughs> it's pretty bad acting, but like you still enjoy it. Yeah, and you're still. Oh yeah. You just you still suspend your disbelief and forgive that. It's like I don't know if we were talking about this interview or an earlier one when. Why does the guy when you when you shoot him into the ropes? Why does he turn and pivot and come back to you? Like, yeah, it's things like that where we we can look at that and go like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. But yeah, hey, it's just wrestling. Yeah, as far as as far as on set and filming for Behind Enemy Lines, Columbia, what was that experience like for you? <laughs> so that was a huge difference um, because. WWE, we would work sometimes like 17, 18 hours a day between traveling. You know, I'd get up at four o'clock in the sometimes three o'clock in the morning here in Minnesota, go to the airport, fly. Then when you get there, you can't check into your hotel because you're too early. So you got to just go right to the gym or go get something to eat. And, you know, it's like a really really long day and then you're up all day um go to the arena get done at 10 30 at night and then you just then you gotta either drive to the next town or find a hotel and, and sleep it off um fuck where were we going with this <laughs> behind what? enemy lines columbia man oh 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 yeah thank you um too many chairs yeah, no problem. Problem. way too many um <laughs> you're good but where where I was used to just doing whatever was like whatever was asked of me, and you carry your own bags and you get your own food and stuff like that and when I was on set, it was like there was somebody that was always hey I'll carry your bags for you and I was like no i I'm good thank you Cause <laughs> in, in the in the wrestling business, if you have somebody carrying your bags for you, you got heat with the boys like oh look oh, at wow. This motherfucker thinks he's special. He thinks he's better than everybody else. You know, like when I was there, if somebody would go and change into like a different locker room, that, that was, that was not a good no, no. thing. You know, no, everybody changed together. Like 
when Austin and Rock were in the WWE, they didn't have separate locker rooms. They, they changed with everybody else. So that was different. Um, and I remember one day we were filming and the assistant director said something like, she's like, guys, we've got 45 minutes. We got to get this shot and we got to get out of here. And I just like pulled her aside and I was like, hey, I'm just let's just fucking stay until it's done. And she was like, no, no, that's not how it works here, you know? Because in Hollywood, you have, like, I don't know if it's 10 hours is the normal schedule, but, like, if you go beyond 10 hours, it's you got to pay double time and then triple time. And oh, then no. it's, like, it's, like, really controlled by the union. The union contracts are very, very specific. And I remember one of the guys, wow. we went over, like, 15 minutes, and he complained to his agent or his manager, and then that manager called the production team and was like, you guys went over t- on time. So that was, that was, uh, wow. that was kind of crazy to me being treated like that. Yeah. So you, you, you go through your WWE career and, uh, you're going all the way up to what? 2009. You were there the last time you were there. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Okay. You go there, you go through all of this stuff, and there were two big names that you got to have the last, their last match with. You had the last match with Eddie Guerrero and with Umaga. Yep. What was that? What does that, what does that mean to you, having those last match, their last matches? You know, I've struggled for years to come up with like an accurate way of, of saying this, and it's just like, I fucking hate that that they're dead right but the fact is they are dead and um i that's that's something special that like i have that other people don't have and it's like uh it's very meaningful to me and i'm honored that i was able to do that and i think in both cases uh they were they were solid outings it wasn't like and then every year on or around the date of Eddie's passing or his birthday, I see all the, you know, people posting the little Eddie spot where he tossed me the chair and yeah, you know, I get caught. So um, it's kind of a cool experience. And then the, the other one was I was, I had just left the company. I was on my first doing the first stuff that I did outside the company. We were in Australia on the Hulk Hogan tour and I wrestled Umaga, and I remember he had just left WWE as well, and we both kind of had a chip on our shoulders. And he he was normally one that would like to, I don't want to say phone it in, but, like, we don't have to go out there and do all these false finishes and stuff. We'll give him a solid match, but we don't have to, you know, we're not trying to have yeah. a match, match of the night. And he was like, we're going to fucking kill it tonight. Like, you know that yeah. eyes are going to be on this. Let's show them what they're missing out on kind of thing. So, yeah. Right on, man. Right on. Um, you you go from WWE being Mr. Money in the Bank and uh, former U.S. champion. You leave there and you go to TNA. Was that always the thing? We're going to go to the next biggest promotion right now to get the most money that we can for our value? Or was it just something that happened? No, I, I think that that should be the, the goal, right? We want to make money in this business and – I, I want to do this. I want to be able to provide for me and my family. Um, so that, I guess that's the, that's the most logical thing to do. But again, I had a real chip on my shoulder when I left WWE. So 
it wasn't something that I, I, I needed some time off. I needed some time off in the business. I had a really bad attitude at the time. And that bad attitude was a lot of the reason why I'm no longer with WWE, you know, and uh, it stuck with me for a really, really long time. But yeah, eventually I remember Booker T called me up one day and said like, Hey, it's fucking the, the water is fine down here at TNA. You know, like you're, you're going to have yeah. some fun. Uh, come on down. And, uh, and then I didn't, I didn't go right away. I, I feel like I was like eight, eight to 10 months before I actually started thinking about making my debut on there. Um, and then um, I was happy when I did. I was happy when I did, but I still still had that chip on my shoulder. Looking back on yeah. it, I wish I wish I didn't. You know, I wish I had handled it differently. But it is what it is. You got to go against all kinds of big names in TNA as well, man. I did. Yeah, like Kurt Angle, Sting, mm-hmm. Jeff Hardy. I mean, yep. so many big names. What Bully. were some of your bigger memories from there? Bully Ray. Yeah, he's a big one. Um, the, the match I had with Kurt Angle was probably my favorite match I've ever had in my, my career. The cage match we did oh, wow. at lockdown 2009. Yeah. Um, and just that match specifically, there's some funny, funny bits like, so when Kurt puts matches together, like I said earlier, you generally do it on the day, but Kurt works a little differently where he starts thinking weeks in advance and he's putting stuff together. I remember him coming to me like three weeks before we were ha- going to have that match. And he's like, yeah, I got it all laid out, man. We got, I got, we got some good stuff and we'll obviously sit down and you can plug your stuff in, but um, I got a good, I got a pretty solid layout. And I just like, that's crazy to me. I've never worked that way before. It's always like, what are we doing tonight? You know? Um, yeah. And so we were initially, he said, they're going to give us 23 minutes, which is a fairly decent amount of time for a pay-per-view. That's a, yeah, it's a and, uh, good match, man. And then, so we put it all together. And on the day, they said, uh, we're cutting your, we're shaving 10 minutes off your match. You got 13. And I remember Kurt looking at me and he goes, we're going 23. Fuck them. <laughs> he goes, I'll take the heat. And I, you know, in the, in the business, if you go 30 seconds over your time, you got some explaining to do. And, but I just remember it's Kurt and all right, man, whatever, whatever you think. And, uh, and then the other thing was he wanted to do that moonsault off the top of the cage, but he didn't want to tell anybody about it because he knew that they would have told him you can't do it. So it's better to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. And mm-hmm. so that was something that like, I remember when D'Lo was our producer and every time we would come to that portion of the match, it would just be like, you know, we kind of talk uh, that. All right. Then you go up and just do a moonsault, right? He'll hit the moonsault. And he never said, I'm going to go all the way up to the top. But I remember we're we're in the ring and uh, Slick was our referee and Slick goes, all right, guys, take it home. And we had only been going for like 10 minutes and uh, we just, we just kept going, just kept going, kind of ignored him. And then wow. a minute, a couple of minutes goes by and he's starting to get more and more frantic. He's like, guys, guys, you got to take it home. They're fucking yelling at me. And then like Kurt at some point, just <laughs> he turned to him and he goes, tell him to fuck off. And uh, <laughs> obviously... 
at the time they didn't have two-way microphones you didn't have two-way communication like wwe does now where the referee yeah. can talk to the back but it was yeah. just a you know he could hear what they were saying and at some point you just see slick kind of look up at the hard cam and he just went i don't know man fucking <laughs> and we just kept going and i'm glad we did honestly like in hindsight because we were able to tell this really cool story like that's all i've ever wanted to do is just tell fun stories interesting stories and i feel like we were able to do that with that match and then i came back and uh not even a shred of heat from the office for me because like wow. d-lo right away was like i know what happened there like you know it's kurt like and they just sort of let it go. The only thing was that the only thing that um, got me a little bit of heat was AJ. AJ, if you know him, is like the sweetest, the kindest, the nicest guy in the world, the most laid back. And uh, he he came up to me and he was like, "Hey man, just let you know they're they're fucking." Because he was working Ric Flair that night. I was thinking it was the first time he was working Rick, with uh, Ric Flair. He goes, they 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 just cut my match by like seven minutes because you guys went went late, and so he wasn't mad. He was disappointed, which is even worse than yeah. And then just be, I, I wish he was pissed at me. I wish he was just pissed at me. You know? Yeah, man. I, what was it like winning that the the world championship? Uh, the first time you wind up against Jeff Hardy, correct? And then the second time you beat Sting, right? Yeah. What um, was it like either of those times, man? This is like a really fun. I, I the way that they, the way they booked that match. If you go back and watch it, it was like, I kept overcoming. They kept throwing all these obstacles at me, and, and I was overcoming them, and you know, so it was. That was a moment where I was like, they're, they're, they believe in me, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and when they reacted to me winning, it was like, that's mm -hmm. what we, that's what we wanted. That's it. Yeah. And, and again, it's like, had it, had we, I been booked to lose that match, as long as I got the reaction that we were after, like, that's, that's the goal. But it was, uh, no, it was really fun. It was, but at the same time, again, not to beat a dead horse, my attitude was the shits at the time. And yeah. I, I remember doing an interview a week or two after I won the title, and I said something like, uh, you know, I was kind of sour on the business, and I said something like, these guys, we, we bust our asses, and then people backstab each other over this fucking toy belt, or basically, you know, something like that. And, and I just, I can't imagine being the the people in the office at that time hearing their world champion say something like that and they quickly yeah. removed it they they quickly took it off my hands um yeah so yeah i guess my, How did you... my point is is that i didn't take it as seriously as i as i wish i would have how did you learn to grow uh and, and to to be able to let go of, of things and move forward to to not have that sour attitude it took me a really long time to realize that like you know, for, for years, I, I blamed other people for my, me leaving WWE, like so-and-so fucking buried me, you know, these two guys buried me. And, but the thing is, is like, had I 
done what I was supposed to be doing, had I busted my ass, had I left it all in the ring every single time, their opinion wouldn't have mattered. Like, they wouldn't have been able to do that. Like, I, you know, I, I don't know. It's just, at some point, you, uh, you've got to take ownership in all of your failures. Um, and I think there's power there. Like, you know, even things that seem like they're out of your control completely, like you can, I, I had a hand in that, you know? And, uh, and, and being, I guess, like I was, I was really bitter for a really long time and this hatred for these people. And somebody, somebody said to me one time, like being that way, um, hating somebody else, hatred for somebody else is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And it's just like, that's true. You know, those people that I, that I hated. I, it bothered me every day or every time I saw them or saw something related to them or a video or whatever. I like, I, I fucking hate that guy. Fuck him. And then yeah. I remember thinking like, but they don't care. Like that's not ruining their day. Like they're onto the yeah. next thing. They're worried about what they're doing and I'm the only one that's affected by this. So. Right. Okay. Right on, man. Did you always think you were going to become a trainer, running your I, own training yep. academy? Yeah, I did. Oh, wow. <clears throat> Early on, I remember as I was going through the process of learning, I remember thinking, like, someday I want to be able to be able to, like, round off these corners for people. So all this, all these mistakes and things that I had to do to, like, learn – you know, like I said, I, I worked for six years, and then three months after I got hired – I looked back at my last independent match before I got hired and I was like, I, I was blown away by how much I didn't know. And so I always wanted to like give people an easier way to, to do, to follow their dreams. So I feel like I, again, they don't know what they're looking for and there is no cookie cutter formula to success in this business. But like, I, I definitely know what steps one needs to take to make sure that you're successful and and there, no success isn't guaranteed ever. But like, again, the harder you work, the luckier you get. You've had success in training these guys too, because you've had people go up to NXT and stuff like that as well. Correct. Yeah. So um, like Darius and Dante Martin and AEW are, are uh, Darius was our first graduate. Um, Dante's a graduate of the Academy and we got Julia Hart was one of our trainees, uh, Tiffany Stratton right now, who just saw her last night or this morning on, uh, yeah. on elimination. She's chamber. blowing it up. She's blowing it up. Um, Von Wagner, um, you know, there's a, there's Gable Steveson. Uh, he actually was hired by the company before he came to us, but. Yeah, so that stuff is rewarding, and then also some of my others. There's 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 more on the way, and it's fun to watch their growth and to see them getting that first big match, or you know getting a call to do extra work. I remember that feeling, and I'm like so happy for them, and I try to like prepare them as much as I possibly can. Here's what you can expect, and this is the way. 
I would suggest you you handle it, you know. And all your success that you've had in the wrestling world, man, what is what is something you could give, some advice you could give to anybody uh, aspiring to do literally anything? Fucking never take no for an answer. And uh, if you are if you're breathing air and you're awake, your eyes are open, like you should be thinking about the business and trying to get better and just continue to, to learn, you know, that's um, just, just keep hustling, keep grinding. I've got students who graduated three or four years ago that still come to camp a couple times a week and they just, they're polishing. They're always polishing and they're working a lot of times we're working with, you know, rookies who are just starting out um and, and they're in there working on those because you you not only have to you have to have those basic building blocks but you also have to be able to work with a lot of different types of people because even when you go to wwe you're not always going to work with people that are really really good sometimes people get hired that are not good wrestlers they're just in the right place at the right time they got the right look Right. And so you've got to try to, okay, how do I make this person look good instead of, well, I'm going to fucking bury this guy. I'm going to go out there and run circles around him. Like that, that doesn't work. And the thing is, is like when people do those things, the boys in the back know what you're doing. They can see it. They can go like, well, you're not fucking helping that person out. And that's your job. It's the most unselfish business I think in the world, because like, I'm always worried about like, okay, how can I make my opponent look good? Not, and obviously, you know, you have to do things to, to make yourself look good too. But if you go into it with the, the idea that like, you should be able to work with, it's, people say it's like, that guy can work with a broomstick. And there are people yeah. out there who can have a match with an invisible man. I used to do that in, in camp. I would, I would tell my students like, all right, work the invisible man. And like, like you can have a, a wow. mat and make it and make it solid and make it make it yeah. mean something. So taking taking actual back bumps, high bumps, flip bumps, yep. all that good junk. Yep. You know, uh, I, I would never I've never seen anybody have a match with the invisible man, but I would like to see that happen. You know what I mean? I've never seen that. That's that's a pretty unique idea, man. I don't want Is to it see something on, that you came up with or I, I don't want to see it on TV necessarily yeah. right like I, I get yeah a couple of years ago there was a i don't remember what the name of the which promotion it was but somebody had like the invisible man versus the invisible man uh, do you remember this match uh i, I don't i yeah it was like the referee i think bryce, was Rim, I think bryce bryce rimsberg was the referee correct yeah and it's like yeah 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 you know you it it tells a story like you can see Without seeing it, you can see what's going on. You can imagine it. Yeah. So I just think it's a good little exercise. Again, I've completely forgotten about it until we just started talking right now. But that was, I don't know. I don't know who came up with that. Uh, it might have been Davari, my my um, original partner in the academy. Oh, but, wow. Yeah. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to have to bring that back. That would be pretty cool. I mean, it'd give them a different insight and... I wouldn't know how to have a match with an invisible man. I, I can tell you that. I mean, that would be, 
like I said, that blows my mind just thinking about how you would go about doing that. You have a tie up, you have a leg sweep, you have a wrist lock. What do you got going on? I mean, you got some chain, you, know? you can chain wrestle with yourself, you know, you can get sent <laughs> off the ropes and you can do oh, all wow, that. Yeah, just keep it simple, but tell a story, tell that yeah. basic, that basic story. So storytelling is at the top of the list, though. I know, every, I know, like you said, a lot goes into the soup, but storytelling's up at the top because you got to bring the audience in. I, I think so. For me, it is, anyways. Like I know some people just like to see cool moves. Like there is a, yeah. and I think a majority of fans, you know, there's there's a, there's people out there who like all kinds of different stuff. The mainstream majority of people. They just want to be told stories. They they want to they want to suspend that disbelief. They want to enjoy what they're watching. And one of the greatest matches I've seen in several years was at the Elimination Chamber last year, when it was Roman Reigns versus Sami Zayn. And if you oh watch, gosh, that was a beautiful story, man. If you watch, those guys didn't touch each other for five minutes. Like I put a timer on it, and I was like, the I I believe. After the ding, 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 after the bell rang, they didn't touch each other for like four and a half to five minutes. And then when they did, it was they locked up and they didn't, they didn't just start doing moves to each other. They, you know, they built it slowly and the crowd built behind it. You got to, you can develop that anticipation. I was watching one of the matches last night. The people were just, they were fucking making noise and these two just locked up and started doing moves to each other and everybody cut, everybody shut up. Wow. So one thing, if, uh, if you're circling your opponent and granted, if you're on a, if you're on a show and the promoter tells you like, you guys have only five minutes, you got to get in and out. You can't really waste a, a whole lot of time, but if you're circling and they're making noise, don't lock up. Cause like the minute you lock up, they shut, they shut the fuck up. Happens every time. Oh wow, wow! So you wait for them to get quieter and then lock up, and then give them, yeah. You know, and they'll then usually you... they'll they'll come up again for you a little bit. Okay, okay. And, and you just got to keep building. You got to keep their anticipation. You got to get if you're the bad guy, if you're the heel, you gotta you gotta make them know that you're the heel. You can't just go out there and expect they know who you are already. You know. Yep. Because every audience is different, you know, uh, that, that I've been to in Fort Smith and here, and in Mountain Pine here close to Hot Springs. Uh, I was a babyface my first four matches. My last two matches, I've been a heel, and I absolutely love that, love it when they're booing me. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it, it's, been, it's been wonderful, you know, and just tell them to shut up. They don't know what greatness is until I'm out there and all this stuff, and it's just wonderful. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, man, uh. I, I did want to say, uh, I saw you at a house show, a TNA house show here in town at the convention center, mm -hmm. uh, back in 2000, I don't know, I think it was 2011 or something like that, maybe. Uh, and you were going to get Jeff Jarrett in the main event, I believe. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, I was standing outside the fence and my friend Jordan at the time, I don't, I don't, I don't know where he's going to, but, uh, he was in sting face paint and everything, and he was, like, standing there, and you got up on the ropes, and you did the mister, and then it got quiet, and he goes, Kennedy, and you go, no, 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 
that guy's dead or something like that. And then you finished off your thing. I just thought that was that was the coolest thing. You were able to interact with him being right there. I was standing right there. I was like, oh, what just happened? You know, uh, in that same moment, Jeff Jarrett told security to throw me out because I was telling Jarrett he didn't have any class and stuff like that. It was great. Mm. But I did want to share that memory, that moment with you, because it was a really cool moment. There's only been three shows that have come to town that weren't local, really. That yeah. was WWE in 09. Uh, SmackDown came to the convention center. It was a house show. And then TNA came twice. Mm. And I got to, I got the pleasure to be able to see you wrestle at one of those shows. And it was, it was awesome, man. It was awesome. That's cool. But, um, winding down on the episode, man, usually I end the episode with something that, I took from a very famous wrestling podcaster that I apply to all of my episodes from a Mr. Chris Van Vliet. And it is uh, being very grateful because I am super grateful. You have no reason to come on this show. But, uh, you know, I'm very grateful for everybody that comes on here. And normally I'll say three things I'm grateful for, and then I'll ask you. For mine, it usually doesn't ever change. My support system. That being my family, my friends, my fiance, my wonderful two daughters, and anybody who's really supported me throughout the years, I'm very grateful for them. For my second one, it's obviously you, the guys that come on the show that have no reason to really be here. I'm just some dude talking to people, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm very grateful for everybody and anybody that comes on to the show, uh, no matter how big or small, it doesn't matter to me. It's it's a really awesome experience to have anybody on and be able to learn from them. And the third thing is uh, the good Lord above, because, man, if he wasn't there, man, I don't know what the hell I'd do. None of us would really be here, you know, not not pushing anything on anybody. That's just the way I believe, you know what I mean? Sure. But what are, what are three things that you're grateful for in this very moment? I would say I would mirror what you said in, in the sense that, like having that support system, my wife and my kids are just amazing. I have a wife who truly like um, supports me. Um, she's she's looking out for me all the time, and uh, I would say I would say the fans. Like I can't do this job without people wanting to watch. And uh, you said like that I don't have to do this. Like we don't have to do anything, right? But like I. I do want to do this stuff. I do want to help people like you out. Um, and we all have to start somewhere. And, uh, man, I, you know, you messaged me. People message me all the time asking me for interviews and stuff. And I usually just, I ask, hey, can I see some of your other interviews? And when I see that, like, you're, you're putting some effort into this, um, I'm, I'm more than happy to do it. Uh, for one, it helps me. Like it promotes my business. When I was in WWE, I, uh, people, there were people who would complain that on their day off, they had to do media. And I always welcomed it. I was like, fuck it. That's, that's free advertising for me, you know? And, uh, right. Yeah. And, uh, what am I, what else am I thankful for? Um, man, see, I'm not, uh, I'm not religious myself. But I understand the, uh, I just, community, I guess, you know, community in this, in this business and 
we're all connected. We really are all connected and everybody knows everybody. Or, you know, in the, what is it, six degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon? There's probably yeah. less less degrees of separation between everybody in the wrestling business. That goes from everybody, from the top, from Vince McMahon all the way down. So, yeah, I guess that'd be my. Man, I, I appreciate the hell out of you coming on again, dude. It, is, it means the world to me that you would do this. Um, and, and I appreciate you wanting to help people out like me because man, it's really tough at times getting started on stuff and, and working on things and trying to really do, do whatever research I can on talking to you guys. I, I want to be able to talk to you about stuff and be able to relate to what you're saying and, and everything like that. Luckily I, I'm able to do stuff to do that. So thank you in a large way for, for coming on here and helping out uh, a guy like me, you know, it means, it means a lot to me. Absolutely. My pleasure, man. So thank you for having me. Well, on. Man, Thanks for giving me the I'm, platform. So. Yes, sir. Not a problem. Not a problem. Anytime, you know? Uh, but yeah, I, I guess, man, I'll let you get back to doing whatever it is you're doing for the rest of your day. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. If you're free at any point in the future, I'd love to have you back on at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Just reach out to me anytime, man. I appreciate you. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. See ya. That episode was just awesome. I'm so grateful for, for Ken for coming on. It, it was just a really cool episode. I got to talk to him for an hour. He gave me an hour of his time, and I'm very grateful for that. Got to hear all kinds of interesting things that, that I had no idea about. You know, I didn't know he wasn't into wrestling. Most of the time, wrestlers are into wrestling before they come in. Uh, but for him, it didn't start that way, and I am so thankful that it did. I got to watch him as a kid on TV, and then I got the pleasure to see him live in person here at the Hot Springs Convention Center in 2011 for a TNA house show. Ken, thank you so much. It means the world to me that you came on here. Uh, and hopefully sometime in the future we can get you back on, buddy. But right now we're going to look at tomorrow's episode. Tomorrow's episode is one that I've been trying to get for... God, since we started the show. We are talking to my brother, Alex. Alex Shirley coming on here tomorrow. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a great episode. And guys, you're going to want to tune in for it because this guy, he played high school football. He was in my backyard wrestling promotion. And now he is an avid card collector. So we are getting into all kinds of stuff, all kinds of good things. But the most important thing about him coming on is without him... None of these guests would have came on here. And we'll get into that tomorrow. Until then, though, guys, never forget to always listen when Adam talks. You guys have a wonderful rest of your day, and we'll see you soon.